This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. They know you're here for good content, so they're not going to waste your time with a long pitch. Here are the three things you need to remember and know about Iron Source. Number one, they're developing the most robust data-driven growth engine for mobile games. Number two, their secret sauce is closing the monetization marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth. And number three, they have an awesome Medium blog and podcast called Level Up. You can find it on Medium by searching for Iron Source Level Up. Thanks. Hey everybody, welcome to Twig 74 on the podcast. Today we have myself, Dr. J. We have Adam Telfer and Eric Kress. And today we will be covering the following articles. First, we'll be looking at a few articles discussing the impact of coronavirus on the mobile gaming industry. Second, China approves 27 games, including Brawl Stars by PG.biz. Third, the exclusive as we know it is ending, and that's a good thing by Polygon. And fourth, Call of Duty Warzone surpasses 6 million players in 24 hours by Gama Sutra. How are you guys doing? Surviving. Mm-hmm. Sequestered <laughs> at home yeah. with the kids, and the kids are starting to drive me insane. It's only been a few days, so they're out of school for two weeks. And, uh, it's probably going to be longer than that, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. down, get some luckily, video games. Well, luckily, my wife only works two days a week, so she can do the heavy lifting and, and I can keep working. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with them for that long. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I've actually had a bum lug for a bit. I uh, twisted my ankle really badly. So I've been stuck in bed for the last nearly two weeks. And uh, so now this is just starting up. So I've been <laughs> I've already been at home for the last two weeks. All right, I guess we can move on to updates, and I got a few from my side. First, former Nintendo boss Reggie Phil's aim, or however you pronounce his name, joined the board of directors at GameStop, and GameStop are currently trying to pivot to some kind of games hangout, esports venue, or some other kind of specialized destination, but the long story short is that it's looking pretty grim. On a personal level, I hope they figure it out because I actually really do enjoy taking my kids there to just kind of hang out. And Reggie seems to think GameStop is critical to the industry as he tweeted, quote, the gaming industry needs a healthy and vibrant GameStop. You know, hey, Reggie, no, they don't. Right? <laughs> we, we don't need you anymore. Like GameStop is just gone. Like it's no one cares. Like we're sitting at like 50 percent digital right now, uh, this last generation, and it's probably going to go up to 70 percent. So like the only time you're going to see people buying packaged goods is maybe hardware. And then during holidays, and I think Walmart and Target and Best Buy and Amazon have it covered. You don't need uh, GameStop anymore. And GameStop, again, the biggest challenge for them is the used business. And with the used business gone because of digital, there's no really reason for them to exist. And these destination things are super cool. Like, I, I, look, I, I think it's cool for kids to go hang out and be social when they're doing games as opposed to s- sitting in my basement. You know, I, I totally agree with that. But there's no money in that, right? I mean, the, the amount of traffic that you're getting, particularly if it's kids, they're not the ones with purchasing power, right? So, like, I don't know. It, it, it seems like a good idea. It's something that they is in their wheelhouse, but it's not something that can basically bring them back from the brink because ultimately it's all about getting used games going again. And that's just impossible given right. the, the percentage of digital. So anyway, continue. All right. Second update. 2K licensed the NFL brand to make games. Now they will not be able to make simulation football games like EA does with Madden. 
but they basically got the NFL license minus the players and minus the teams. So on the face of it, this doesn't seem like a good idea. But I'm sure they, they must have some other idea that's just not obvious. Right, guys? I'm, oh, or at get, least I hope they do. All right. You want to get me going? <laughs> uh, you get me going on this, right? So, like, we did this at EA, right? We basically signed this exclusive deal with the NFL in order to get access to the NFL for the simulation game Madden and then to build additional products for on the casual side. So we had NFL arcade and NFL head coach. And it was a train wreck, like absolute train wreck. I'm not gonna go into the specifics, but ultimately there is no demand for these type of games. Like this strategy makes no sense to me whatsoever because back then it actually would have made sense because we had much of a broader audience. Now the demographic has shifted so core that there's just no way you're gonna sell some NFL arcade game and, and, and expect to do well. So it feels like they're creating a product for no market again. You know, it's like, and I don't see what possible research could have like brought them to this conclusion that this makes sense. Cause now they'd likely have a pretty big guarantee with the NFL for these, these experiences and they have to earn against that. And if they don't sell enough units, they're just not going to make any money. And so it felt like to me, like they're trying to figure out ways of expanding the skew plan with that team in, 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 in Marin, but this is not the way, like these games won't do. And, and on top of that, the NFL is just the U S right. So you're basically talking about like a very small audience. So obscene, absurd. Now what they should have done is done an NCAA game, right? That would have made sense. Like, you know, like that would have been bad for EA, right? If they created a great NCAA game uh, for football, um, that and more of a sim style thing that, that I would have kind of, you know, been more supportive, but I think this is going to be ultimately it's just absolute disaster for them, but we'll see. Yeah. Cause what was the actual, well, there was the new FIFA thing, the FIFA street mode that they added last year, which was a complete disaster. Yep. O only thing that arcade games have been in is just like crappy little indie $20 games. Right. Well, and we have NBA jam, which I mean, it didn't do much. I meant to go look that up, but I, I, don't, I haven't thought about, it. but no, I mean, these, this is not what people want, right? Um, I, I think they, they like them from a, a old school perspective, you know, like it seems fun and stuff, but they just don't sell, right? And yeah. they don't certainly don't sell for $60, right? So there's more discounted type things. So you can't command the price point. They don't command the volumes and the market is just not there for this type of thing anymore. Um, and and I, I don't know what the hell they were thinking on this. I, 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 yeah, it, it blows my mind because if it hadn't been tried before, okay, fine, give it a shot. But we already saw exactly what happened, right? And the market was much bigger back then, you know, much bigger for this casual stuff back then. So, anyway, continue. So ho Sorry. Hopefully, they've got some some trick up their sleeve. Hopefully, but. maybe they're all they're all smarter <laughs> than I am. So maybe they got they 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 got some like. Battle Royale NFL Blitz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're, they're going to innovate them shit, their shit away from out of this thing. Sandbox. Yeah. <laughs> Virtual reality. Anyway. All right. Third update. On the user acquisition side, our guy Paul Bone over at Algolift is going pretty crazy with good content on their blog. And so I just wanted to make people aware of his latest post, how user acquisition teams can save 500 hours a month with automation. 
Also, our guy, Eric Seuford at Mobile Dev Memo has a very proactive post titled, How to Manage Marketing Spend During a Recession. And with Larry Summers predicting an 85 to 90% chance of recession due to impacts from coronavirus, I highly recommend checking that out as well. Anyway, both good reads for those interested in UA. And as always, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Finally, for all of you Witcher fans, it's been reported that CD Projekt will begin development on a new Witcher game immediately after the release of Cyberpunk 2077 in September. And it's being reported that it will not be a direct sequel to Witcher 3. And those are all the updates from my side. Adam, you've got an update? Yeah. There was only other one other article that kind of caught my eye, which was the Magic Leap thing. Yeah, like they raised $2 billion and now they're <laughs> aiming to sell. And everyone says the valuation set at about $10 billion. Is anyone actually going to buy them? Um, they, they are out of their freaking minds, you know? Have you seen their technology? It's terrible. It is terrible. Their promise of having some huge whale like jump out of the floor in some big auditorium and now they're just talking about a little like tchotchke little character walking around in your living room i mean it's, it's ridiculous it's ridiculous this one i called this years ago when people were thinking my clients were looking at investing in these guys what a ponzi piece of i mean what a terrible 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 ponzi scheme this thing was um <laughs> there's no way they get sold for 10 billion i don't know Okay, I'm I'm happy then. <laughs> I got my Eric rant out on. No, nah, I mean Magic it was a, <laughs> it was like a huge investment in tech, and I, I don't I'm I'm not going to claim to know a lot about it, but it just seemed like it was more like a incubator for really really smart people to build certain tech. But I think none of them really had an idea of what the product would be, and what they were trying to accomplish was actually quite challenging, particularly. Just AR in general is very challenging from a from a processor standpoint. So creating some kind of consumer device for AR is not easy, you know, and and I don't think Magic Leap really had had uh, that kind of like uh, management. So I don't know, dude. Ten billion just seems obscene. Yeah, and they're probably running out of money because they just have a ton of people. They probably, I, don't, I can't even imagine they could do payroll anymore given what kind of burn they have, and given the fact they've sold like a thousand units of their product. Right? <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ. Anyway, it's ridiculous, but we'll see. I mean, Facebook, I, you know, like Facebook or Microsoft could maybe use the tech or something, you know, like they've developed over the years, but it's not worth 10 billion. Absolutely not. No way. All right. All right. Uh, here, here, now, 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 uh, JK is just going to get all doom and gloom with the coronavirus. <laughs> all right. Moving on to news. And the first bit of news is basically around not specifically about coronavirus itself, but the impact of coronavirus on mobile gaming. So at this point, it's pretty clear coronavirus, or actually more correctly stated, COVID-19 is having a major impact on our lives. Uh, the high profile impact for us in the gaming industry has been the cancellation of major conferences such as GDC, E3, MAU, and a bunch of others. However, there are a few articles I wanted to cover that speak to some of the other implications of coronavirus and COVID-19 to our industry. So the first article is from Bloomberg titled, Even Virtual Goods from China Are Taking a Hit from Coronavirus. So the first point raised by the article is that gaming is one of the few beneficiaries from the coronavirus outbreak. So the Dow for virtually all of the popular games in China spiked 
after the outbreak in China. And unrelated to this article, but there was a pretty famous Twitter tweet from the CEO of Duolingo, which showed that the DAO of their language learning app almost doubled in February in China. But also more recently, some of you may have read the news about Steam usage, which has hit some highs, and Xbox Live the other night had an outage due to too many users. So the point being that social distancing or virus outbreaks are longer term a tailwind for online gaming. And this is just my personal opinion, but I do expect more investment in online gaming from investors as a hedge to other industries like retail, restaurants, travel, tourism, stuff like that. So given what we've seen in terms of the current outbreak and, and just that it's been driving a lot of online gaming, so it could be a potential safe haven in the future. Anyway, the article then speaks to the importance, however, of separating demand side versus supply side. Bloomberg spoke to a number of art outsourcing studios developing virtual goods content for major game companies. So studios like Virtuos and Shear that are based in China where they are having, or they were having major business disruptions due to lockdowns. So Bloomberg hypothesizes that there may be a shift of outsourcing outside of China. And inserting my own opinion here, I think that any large game studio that are, that are generally risk averse would likely diversify their outsourcing strategy to not be totally reliant on China moving forward. So I'd expect countries like Vietnam, Philippines, and Eastern Europe to be beneficiary countries. The second article is a LinkedIn post by this dude named Andre Kemp, who seems to be the founder of an app marketing agency called Admiral Media. His post titled Corona's Impact on Mobile Ad Spend discusses the mobile advertising impact of coronavirus. So Andre hypothesizes that big spenders will drop out of ad spending on Facebook and Google, so ad budgets from companies like hotels, airlines, trains and buses, anything tourism-related, et cetera, would decrease. Hence, in that initial post, he expected CPM and CPI to decrease and ROAS to increase for mobile app companies. He then showed some data from campaigns, which actually did, in fact, show some dramatic decreases in CPM on Google app campaigns and to a lesser degree on Facebook ads. He then added an update on March 12th that showed a campaign that ran in Italy that confirmed showing CPM and CPI declining fairly quick, quickly and a related ROAS increase. Anyway, although certainly a major tragedy, I think it's important to think through the ramifications of events like coronavirus to all parts of the value chain in which we operate. Guys, what do you think? Well, this is obviously really important for the investment perspective, given where these stocks are right now. But um, overall, both mobile and console seem to be so far unaffected or actually potentially doing a bit better. The sensor tower data is basically everything looks like <laughs> they're just cranking along, right? So revenue continues to grow both in US and Europe. You know, downloads look flat. Um, I'm not sure I would release a game right now, given people's attention is kind of elsewhere. But um, it looks like the existing games are pretty solid. From a console perspective, I've been telling my clients, like February was like an amazing month for all the games. Like Apex had an amazing month. GTA, Madden, FIFA, NBA, all were relatively strong. We saw Division 2 with their $3 sale go off the, go off the chain, yo. Um, and then they sold their subsequent you know, expansion. So that's doing reasonably well. And obviously, with we're going to get to it in a bit, is that Call of Duty... 
uh, Warzone has been phenomenal, like 15 million users in four days. You know, that's a lot of people probably Three sticking. Days. What's that? Three days. Three days. Three days. All right. Um, that's a lot of people, right? Trying this this mode and 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 getting engaged. And given how many kids are home, I imagine a lot of them are playing games because, you know, parents have nothing else to do with them, right? Oh, just to um, interject here, like you said, February was a strong month. NPD came up with numbers there said numbers were down across the board. So you're just pointing specifically at the top end games like GTA, Madden, FIFA, having strong in-game spend? Or are you saying that like overall unit spend is, is stronger? Yeah, I'm saying that engagement is getting stronger in at least in February. I'd imagine March is going to be very similar when people more people are at home because again, yeah, like there's no games coming out right now, really. So like I'm not expecting you know, the top level MPD to be a better until, you know, holiday when the new consoles come out. But in terms of engagement of existing games uh, is, is actually relatively strong. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Cause the number I see is negative 29% in terms of unit sales, but I'm assuming that's largely just because we're late in the cycle. Um, Cause you can already see like hardware is down 34% accessories are down. 11%. Yeah. We're going to see those numbers for the, for the first 10 months of the year, right? It's not going to be pretty given we are in a transition year. So no one's really investing in hardware, right? Yeah. And that division two expansion, uh, I don't know if you played it, but um, I, it, it didn't review very well. looks like it's actually a decent story campaign, but just not going to fix that game. Anyways, off track. Tangent. Well, no, no. I mean, that's not off track. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think, you know, they finally simple part of what, sorry, I'm a huge division fan. So I've been playing a lot, but um you know, Division Two is just—they just can't get the end game right. You know, they can't make a compelling like system in which you can continue to upgrade your character and get more powerful. Right? The power fantasy is just broken in this game, as well as Destiny. Right? It's so frustrating because they have all the pieces. There's evidence out there. I mean, you look at what World of Warcraft does on a regular basis; it's amazing. But for some reason, like I don't know why. It's just I—I I really have to like talk to those guys and see why they can't just built in like obsolescence, right? And and basically say, hey, look, you're gonna get to this power level, but you know, three um, a month from now, we're gonna increase the cap, right? And and release new gear and make it make it so that you feel more powerful and you get more done. But they just can't do that. It's so frustrating anyway. But I think the game is well designed. They definitely simplified a lot of things within it. So I've been back and, and playing a lot, but <clears throat> I don't think they fit the they they definitely didn't fix the fundamental problem of of progression um, at the end game. Anyway, so uh, what I keep telling my clients is that in 08 and 09, they literally were the best year of video games and the second best year in video games ever, right? And the world was falling. Like the, the, the literally like the entire economic system of this world was like falling apart. It was a it was a global economic collapse in 08 and 09. And the video game sector just saw tremendous growth because that was the part of their cycle, you know? And so people's purchasing power dissipating, people are losing jobs, people are like, you know, foreclosing on their properties, yet people are still buying freaking video games, you know, because it's a great entertainment vehicle when you have nothing else to do, right? So back then it was driven by retail but now i think we're seeing some of the evidence on the digital side where people are playing a lot of games right now and so out of all the sectors out there i think the video game sector will kind of be much stronger and i don't think this particular event is anywhere near 
not even close to what happened in 08 and 09. And, uh, and, and so I think, you know, they should rebound faster than, than even in 08 and 09. So that's kind of my overall take and what's going on. We'll see what March looks like and, and, and ongoing. Again, I, releasing games might be a little bit tough right now, but I think if you're, you know, have an existing game that's, that's doing well or that has a lot of user base, I think you're probably going to be seeing some pretty strong numbers. So there we go. Mr. Okay. Doom and Gloom, Mr. JK, you got anything to say about that? No. <laughs> but I will say it's it's too early to to predict a quick uh, quick recovery. You know, uh, there's a lot of bankers who are very nervous right now, for sure. All right, let's move forward before Eric and JK <laughs> get too much into this. Second article: China approves 27 games, including Brawl Stars. This was covered by Pocket Gamer, and this was actually like basically all they did was was pick up a tweet from Daniel Ahmad on Twitter. Uh, who, if you don't follow already, I highly recommend, um, an analyst from Nico Partners. Uh, anyways, the Chinese game regulator called uh, SAPP, that's the State Administration of Press and Publication, uh, which is typically the uh, government agency that actually approves games, just approved 27. That's 16 on mobile, 6 on PC, and 5 console games. Uh, these approvals, of course, are massive for developers. Um, it feels similar to the lottery system for like movies, getting international approvals and approvals in China. Um, for mobile games, you can really clearly see the impact, especially on Sensor Tower. Um, so best example here, AFK Arena just went from about half a million a day. I think that was back in Q4 of last year. And Q1 of this year is now hitting 2 million a day with 75% of the revenue coming from China. Uh, that's how big it is to launch in China. Uh, key games that are launched in this cohort, Brawl Stars, which of course is massive for both Supercell and Tencent. Um, and even though Brawl Stars has been in decline from last year, we should then see a pretty meteoric rise, at least for the beginning of this year. Uh, EVE Online, so that's CCP and NetEase, uh, fresh off their partnership. Uh, Mario Kart 8 and Mario Odyssey, fresh off Nintendo and Tencent's partnership. Uh, My Talking Tom, so that's from Zex, Zexin, I don't know how to pronounce it, Zexin IT, um, from their partnership, um, Art of War, uh, partnership with iDreamSky, and uh, one notable here uh, is Lucy, the Eternity She Wished For, which is actually the first Korean game to be approved in over two years within China. Uh, and one weird one, Boom Ball 3 for Microsoft Connect. What? <laughs> what is this doing on the approval list? I don't know. I, that one seemed weird to me. Anyways, the key is that each of these games have actually Chinese with a Chinese operator, uh, like Nintendo with Tencent, CCP with NetEase, and also the Switch games here. So you remember back, I think it was in November, December, they announced Tencent and Nintendo's partnership to get the Switch uh, over to China. Um, and previously, Switch only had the new Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe game. So now, finally, there's three games on Switch um, in China. Uh, also, some key games not on this list. Call of Duty Mobile is still not on this list. So we'll see how fast these approvals, you know, ramp up. But so far, Call of Duty is not on there. Um, and Apex Legends, either their PC or their mobile partnership, um, nothing preemptively there. Um, just keep in mind that, like, this is the official channel. So while, you know, Apex Legends, there could be people playing in China. Um, these players are just not officially, you know, using the Chinese rules because uh, they might be actually 
circumventing that security to actually play it. So that's like Steam or importing those games. But in terms of the actual approvals timeline, I don't know a whole ton about this, but looking into this approvals timeline, they've effectively stopped since November 2019. This was their first batch in 2020. Um, typically, they're adding about 22 to 38 titles a month, and that's been since about May of last year. Um, but then since the fall, since about September, they've dropped to less than 20 and then stopped in December. So I'm not sure how fast it's going to ramp up, especially with COVID stuff, but yeah, this is it's a very slow process for a lot of big developers. Anyways, Joe? Yeah, so at the risk of pissing off some of my Chinese friends, I honestly think that this is just crazy, but I feel like the U.S. should match Chinese policy for Chinese-originated games entering the U.S. market until we get more parity. So in this case, I think that Chinese developers should have to partner with U.S. domestic partners and for Every U.S. title approved in China, a Chinese mobile title can enter the, the U.S. Because, like right now, I just think this is just so crazy. It's an it's a totally unbalanced market right now. Also, the SAPP only approving like 15 mo mobile titles or so per month is just crazy. That just completely sort of kills off the mid and low tier of the market going into China. And I also think that not everyone has woken up to the fact that China is actually the biggest global market right now not just by downloads, but by consumer spend. And we actually covered this with App Annie for the 2020 State of Mobile Report on a previous podcast. So I encourage folks who haven't listened yet to listen to that episode. But one of the key metrics was that China made up about 40% of mobile app store spend in 2019. And even further, many of the Asian countries like South Korea, Japan, and China are actually ahead of the US in ARPU as measured by 2019 game releases from that same App Annie report. And finally, as, uh, as you mentioned, Adam, earlier, uh, you really need to just look at AFK Arena, which went bonkers after their China license approval. And so just looking at the sensor tower numbers, but yeah, they literally quadrupled revenue in one month. So if anyone's interested, that doesn't have sensor tower access, I'll actually cover this in GG Digest, the, weekly newsletter that uh, I write with a couple other guys. So just sign up at ggdigest.com. Eric, what, you, what do you got? You know, I would like to figure out ways of evening the playing field, but I doubt that US would allow such a, like some kind of gatekeeper publishing agreement with, with, with the US thing. So like, you know, what about Europe and the rest of the world? Should we have like, you know, a publishing gatekeeper for every local country. So you have to partner with, you know, individual distributors for each country. It's hard that it's hard to imagine administering such a policy. Um, but, uh, but I do agree, you know, 15 games a month seems very small. I would hope they would open up a little bit more, but then again, I'm not sure what you should expect, right? Not to get all Trumpy in here, but China is an author authoritarian communist country, right? What do you think happens there? <laughs> Completely different calculus on what is fair and just, particularly as it relates to business, but also as a social aspect as well. But they do what's best for them. And it's not good for them to have outside games coming in and taking market share away from their publishers, right? So, you know, the government controls the daily lives of both culture and business. And that's the way authoritarian regimes run. So I don't know what else to expect here, but... Um, and, and they likely will never open it up fully their, uh, you know, the game side of their business. And 
and we will continue probably to allow them to do whatever they want in the US. So I don't think that'll change, even though it is seems to be extremely unfair. But moving on. Hey, folks, after the break, we will come back and talk about the exclusives as we know it is ending. And that's a good thing from Polygon in Call of Duty Warzone whooping some ass. Definitely getting a ton of users surpassing 6 million players in 24 hours, as reported by Gama Sutra, and over 15 million players in three days. So come back right after the break. This podcast is sponsored by GG Digest, the industry's best gaming industry newsletter. I'm here with Kenny Liu and Jeff Witt. Guys, what is GG Digest and why should people sign up? GG Digest is the number one weekly source for key gaming industry insights and updates. The amount of available online information on the gaming industry is greater than ever before, but the quality of many of those insights varies a tremendous amount. We scour the internet for you and deliver straight to your inbox the most important takeaways each week on our fast-paced and ever-changing industry. Gaming is such a booming industry right now, and we know how hard it is for both game developers and gamers to find the latest news and discussions about games. At GG Digest, we seek to bring not only relevant articles to what's happening in the gaming industry, but in-depth discussions of all things game and game mechanics. All right, people, sign up for GG Digest. Just go to ggdigest.com to sign up right now. Thanks. And welcome back to This Week in Games. So there's a Polygon article, and they're basically talking about so uh, exclusives as we know it is ending, and that's a good thing. So basically the article kind of is talking about how, you know, some of the PlayStation fans have collectively lost their minds because Horizon Zero Dawn is getting a PC port. <laughs> so funny. And like one of the quotes was like, oh, I suppose only on PlayStation is pretty worthless now, a fan said in response. What a disgrace. And there were like pictures of people like destroying their PlayStation setups and like, ah, it's ridiculous. Like, so they're all butthurt because now one of their best games on PS4 is coming to PC. The article kind of says, oh, you know, the seas are changing. You know, Fortnite has changed the ecosystem forever. And because of Fortnite's success, everyone's going to be going cross-platform, cross-generation, cross-blah-blah-blah-blah. Microsoft is also getting very aggressive with both cross-play on PC, you know, allowing them to pay once and play wherever you want. And then, obviously, their subscription service goes cross-platform. And they begin to talk, you know, Sony kind of has been the slowest to react. You know, they have... Horizon coming on PC, but there are the rumors about Death Stranding um, and also some rumors about Last of Us 2. Uh, actually, no, Death Stranding is not a rumor. That's actually happening. And then he concludes by kind of saying is they, he believes that the future is basically to de-emphasize platforms in general and stop these exclusive publishing deals. And I, I have to admit, I will agree for the most part that this is happening, but I will actually have to disagree on Sony, you know? Microsoft and Nintendo both will probably likely move to all platforms, uh, all generations, et cetera. I think that kind of makes sense for them ultimately. But Sony is kind of a different animal, right? They have a huge group of studios making really compelling, primarily single player content. And, and this is kind of goes back to Sony's like real priorities. And for those of you guys who don't really follow console as much, maybe it makes sense to kind of describe this a little bit is that they have really two big priorities. One is selling hardware and one is selling software, right? That's fundamentally all they do, right? And selling hardware is 
is basically their priority number one because they want to bring as many people to the platform as possible. You know, the more people on the platform, the more royalties they get from third party, which is by far the biggest contributor to profit. Again, the biggest contributor to profit is selling third party games on their consoles. So we all know that hardware does not make money, right? Hardware is, is break even at best, most likely given marketing costs, bill of materials, costs of goods sold, et cetera. And internally developed software makes money, probably, but not all, right, necessarily. But it's not nearly as profitable as the pure profit of what of royalty revenue on the platform. So to be, again, to be clear here is the royalty is like the 30% from the store, whether it's a digital transaction or microtransaction or $8 per package goods units, right? That's where all the money is made in this model, okay? So selling their own software is kind of a secondary consideration to some degree. But if you create experiences that are unique to the platform that improve your position within versus your competitors, that's what you want to do. You want to ultimately lead your consumers to choose your console over others. That's the whole goal, right? So example, when FIFA and Madden are being sold, if you have 70% share of a billion dollar business, you're getting 30% of 700 million or 210 million of pure profit, right? That is an amazing model for you. And you could basically run all your internal studios at break even and still justify it because you are differentiating your platform and gaining share against Microsoft and, 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 and Nintendo uh, in general, right? So this is the innovator's dilemma on, on Sony, right? The, this, the current studio org is basically set up to build exclusives that support the platform. And by any measure, you could probably say they have crushed it this generation, right? They're probably sitting at about 70% share of the overall market. And, and Microsoft is losing their ass right now, you know, versus around probably around 50% of the last cycle. So they're, they basically are getting the majority of the money from all these third-party publishers and, and, and they're sitting pretty and, and making tons of money. But unfortunately, the studios are making the same stupid content that they've made for the last 20 years. And the market is moving clearly to online services, cross-platform, user-generated content, et cetera, you know, the whole Fortnite effect. And so while they have maintained and strengthened their position with the business as usual approach, there's certainly a risk of losing out to the competitors as the competitors create more amazing experiences off of their, their, of their platform, potentially anyway. So anyway, I, I still think that Sony will continue to dominate you know, in the first three years of the cycle. And they probably have a pretty long rope given their positioning um, as others try to catch up like Microsoft in terms of you know, first party development. And, but I just see like the two biggest risks for Sony is that a new experience that goes across all platforms that lessens the importance of Sony's platform. So in a world that this guy describes in his article, I guess coming back to the article, is that where platform doesn't matter, then you know, there, there, there's a huge risk to Sony, right? But the problem is, is that because Sony has such a dominant position right now, they're likely to play on their platform anyway, and they'll still collect that 30% of all revenue that's generated. So they still have that beachhead that they, they should be able to continue to maintain. Um, the other concern is that Microsoft does more content partnerships um, outside of the traditional with something like Roblox or even like something like Nintendo, where they create a really unique experience uh, that you only can get on these consoles. And then people will flock towards Microsoft instead of uh, Sony. So I think that, again, is their biggest risk longer term. 
Um, so anyway, I think, you know, again, Sony is in great shape. I do believe with this guy's notion that platform and generation is going to matter less. But what I keep trying to say is that their whole business model is focused on collecting that 30% from third parties. That's where they make all their money. Like the primary driver of their business is that, that revenue because their overall revenue on the platform is like 90% third party and 10% first party, right? And so as long as they maintain their dominance in the consoles, they are not incentivized to basically bring their content cross-platform, right? So you will likely never see Last of Us on Xbox or God of War or Horizon or any of these other games. They will maintain this beachhead as long as they possibly can uh, until the competition kind of mix changes. So anyway, that's my big kind of rant on that. But uh, any, does that make sense to everybody? Makes sense. And at least speaking personally for myself, I, I used to be an Xbox fan. And then with all the exclusive content on PlayStation, kind of shifted back to PlayStation. But more recently, though, now that I've been playing with my Xbox One S all digital, I have to say, I actually personally think that Xbox is just a better designed console. Sony, in my opinion, is definitely behind in terms of digital and online. But Having said that, I fully expect Sony to keep winning because of content. And the first party studio comparison between Microsoft and Sony is, to your point, it's no contest. And even further, the rumor mill is actually pointing towards more exclusives. So uh, just to be clear, this is just a rumor as reported by Game Rant, but apparently somebody on 4chan uh, supposedly saying that they were from konami has uh stated that sony has made an offer to konami to acquire metal gear silent hill and castlevania specifically to be made as a series of exclusives for playstation 5 and the rumors point to multiple reboots remakes and new titles and the rumors also seem to be substantiated by some pretty cryptic twitter posts by key game makers associated with those titles so given all of this for the next generation, looks like, at least for me personally, I'm definitely going to be buying the new PlayStation 5. I don't see any reason for me to upgrade my Xbox, you know, despite all the upgrades in terms of the new Xbox, it looks amazing from a technical perspective, but from a content perspective, I'll probably just stand pat. And then I'll wait for Nintendo to acquire Stadia after Google finally gives up on Stadia. <laughs> and then I'll just buy a Nintendo Stadia to play future Nintendo games. A Nintendo Stadia? Wait, a Nintendo Stadia? <laughs> what? What? You're not throwing no. that in there. No. Crazy. No. Um, yeah, I think we've hit this <laughs> this point a lot on the podcast, so I'm not going to go too deep on it. My sense is that content is still the best way to sell this these hardware units, so it's very unlikely. So, so, and that's another reason when 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 Tim Sweeney and on Epic you know, starts talking about getting rid of the 30%, like there is no goddamn way that is going to happen, right? You know, like, uh, I don't want to just do this rant all over again, but but Sony is built their business on this 30%. You know, it, it, it's actually almost identical to the same situation that we had with GameStop we talk, just talked about, right? Their primary driver of their business profitability is used business. If that used business goes away, GameStop goes away. So if that 30% goes away or even goes down a little bit, Sony is going to get annihilated, right? Because that is their primary business of making money, right? And so the notion that 
Tim Sweeney with his, you know, his huge gain that's declining at like 40% a clip is going to change the whole ecosystem of video games because of his successful or less successful game now. It's just ludicrous. It's, it's obscene. And, uh, and so he can speak and talk all he wants, but that's, their incentive is, is, is not aligned with what he's suggesting. And they will continue to do what they do until they can't. So actually, if I were to be honest, I think of ultimately they're going to get pressure and, and do it, but it's not going to be for a long, long time, right? They have, they have, they have way too much industry share to basically roll over this fast. It's, it's going to be years before this happens. So anyway, moving on to Call of Duty Warzone. Yeah, sorry. Eric was triggered. I could see the vein popping out of his head. Seriously. <laughs> Okay, Call of Duty Warzone. Uh, we've covered this actually the last couple of podcasts, just like in a quick update, but finally, it actually launched last week. So as per the official Twitter, uh, it actually gained 6 million players in its first 24 hours, 15 million in the first three days, and actually comparing this to Apex, Apex was at 10 million at this point versus Warzone's at 15. And if we then kind of like, um, kind of branch this out. Apex then went on to 25 million in the first week, 50 million in the first month. So, so far, it looks like they're leading in terms of download rate, but we'll see if this can actually sustain. And I think it's very likely they're getting a bump due to COVID, um, as we talked about before. It's just the COVID bump. bump. Let's do it. The COVID bump. Look, we're going <laughs> to own that bump. It just though. seems so fundamentally wrong to be like <laughs> COVID bump. I don't know. And it's it's a high profile launch that you know is going to benefit from all these kids being home with a lot of time on their hands. Also, you can see it kind of eating into viewership of various games. I think Apex looks like it's gotten a pretty big dip um, in terms of viewership. Uh, we'll actually see if that actually translates into player counts because, as Eric said, uh, February was a very good month for February for for Apex. But now with this launch, uh, maybe that will change. In terms of like why that download rank. Um, is doing so well. It looks like their marketing approach is very similar to Apex. Uh, they aggressively went after major streamers. So Dr. Disrespect, Ninja, Summit, Lupo. Um, and so far, they've actually stuck to it and are singing praises about the game. Um, it's still, you know, less than a week. So we'll see how that sticks together and, you know, how much they actually spent on this stuff. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, the side note here is that it's actually getting a lot harder to track these guys. Like now they're on Facebook, Mixer, Twitch, all separately. And before I had one nice little tool that I could look <laughs> at all these different players. And now it's a lot harder to do. But anyways, um, I think we talked about before, like the, the Battle Royale thing. And like, where does it fit in terms of the product strategy in this market? And when it came out, everyone was kind of talking about Battle Royale having this like 150 person map, you know, massive. Um, and when it's launched, to be honest, like the, the Battle Royale mode, to my, in my opinion, just doesn't really have that much change. And the changes are pretty polarizing from the community. So 150 person, all they did was really extend the match length. Um, and the, the only real features that they added to Battle Royale were this currency that you can earn from scavenging and looting players. But to be honest, Fortnite has that too. Uh, and has this gulag mode where you can kind of uh, revive yourself if you beat another player one-on-one -on -one in a like makeshift prison. But to be honest, like I, personally, I prefer the respawn system from Apex. I think it's more team-based, which I like. So anyways, the, the Battle Royale features don't really seem that great, um, but we'll see how it goes through the next week. The shining star here is actually the, this plunder mode, which was a surprise to me. 
um, is this secondary mode, which all it says is use that massive map and it's all about scavenging. Everybody's just trying to reach as much money as possible instead of being the last standing. You actually respawn in this mode. There's no circles. You just do contracts where you can like loot or steal from other players on the map and making sure you actually bank your money before you die. So it almost feels like Destiny's Gambit or Division's uh, Dark Zone, which is definitely a different take on Battle Royale. Actually brings it closer to things like DayZ or Tarkov kind of thing. And I think it opens it up actually to a wider player base. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see where the player base gravitates to. Like high skill games typically... Uh, streamers are going to go to versus this low skill game might get the audience, but might not retain. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens, but this mode seems to be turning more heads in the battle Royale mode, which, you know, in my opinion, just wasn't different enough. Anyways, what I'm watching is for the streamers uh, in the coming weeks, whether they stick um, as well as live content, because if this game is going to be successful, Activision must learn from Apex's launch. Uh, they have to get some events out there, some changes into the game quickly, you know, events, et cetera. And already they're in a better place from Apex was at launch. Like they have a battle pass. They have like progression. Um, they have a lot more things you can do. Um, but re to retain this lead, they're going to need to be throwing a lot more cosmetics, you know, events, mode changes, et cetera, responding to the community as quickly as possible. Uh, and then they have a chance to actually um, slow down the decline of DAO, which is inevitable. Um, but actually retain a higher base. So it'll be interesting to see. Joe? Yeah, so Daniel Ahmad, the Nico Partners analyst that you mentioned earlier, did post the user numbers for Warzone versus Apex and Fortnite. I recommend you follow him, but currently I think it, you mentioned as well, Warzone is beating both of those games so far. And there aren't a lot of big titles coming out anytime soon, as far as I know, as well as, as you mentioned, the COVID bump. So things are looking pretty promising for user numbers. I think... The big question is really going to be about longer term cannibalization. So we've got a couple of things happening. First, with the demise of the Sledgehammer studio, we went from a three studio, three year COD development pipeline model. So three by three to a two studio, two year pipeline model. And on top of that, now we have a very popular free to play battle royale plunder skew. So the big question, again, I think we've kind of hypothesized about this before on previous podcasts is will Warzone cannibalize future $60 retail sales of new Call of Duty titles? And the second question, as has been posed in previous podcasts, how flexible will Activision allow their fiction to become? Will we have more pink neon ski outfits or bunny suit crap? Yes, they will. Stop, <laughs> stop shooting them down. They make money. <laughs> well, and will that potentially damage the brand in the no. future? Will the <laughs> lack of flexibility and realistic fiction hurt monetization? We'll see. We'll see what they do. Yeah, like Block Ups 4 had all this stuff. It's absolutely <laughs> but I, I'm personally going to cry when I see more bunny suits. But you anyway. can cry. You can, an Activision will cry all the way to the bank. It's fine. So anyway, th there is potential for a double whammy on monetization for Call of Duty with Warzone, but you know, definitely interesting times and interesting to see how this will all play out. Eric? Yeah, I mean, it's clear that Warzone is much improved from last time. I think, you know, the real question is whether there's any longevity for the mode. It feels a little lacking in depth uh, relative to Apex, and certainly Apex has learned from its, its experience so far of how to do um, support the game post-launch. So if they need to replicate that and, and do even a better job. So I don't know. It's going to be tough, I think, for them to maintain it. However, 
overall, Modern Combat has been an amazing game for the Call of Duty series. It's probably the best game they've ever made. And so it's still maintaining a huge audience and active player base. So to your point, Joe, I think the biggest risk is basically this year's Call of Duty because it had an accelerated development time, two years versus three years. If you remember, this is supposedly the Sledgehammer year, and now Treyarch is building another Black Ops here. And I think we said in the podcast before, it seems very rushed and likely they're just slapping the name on it. So what, 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 what makes Modern Warfare such a great game is it has an amazing single player. It's both in modern times. It's boots on the ground. It's a deep multiplayer. And now with Warzone, it's even more deep. Um, and that basically compels people to stick with the game longer. And so if there's any notion which that Black Ops come out with you know, lesser quality, why wouldn't you just stick with what's what's working, what's great, right? And and that that seems to be likely what the outcome will be when the next game comes out. And I think, again, this is the biggest risk for Activision going forward is that they don't see this big bump from, uh, from their biggest IP in Call of Duty Black Ops because of quality issues. And again, because of how successful Modern Warfare has been. So we shall see what happens this year when they reveal the game and, uh, and we'll see how well they can keep players engaged with the new Warzone feature. Um, but it'll be really overall, interesting to see what happens to the economy as well, right? Like if you think all these players are earning these cosmetics, they're dropping all this live content, how are they going to bridge the gap to that next year, right? right? Every single year they've done a full reset, collected that $60 because by that point, the previous game's year is so far down in terms of engagement, right? They're going to lose so much momentum if this game's still going strong by September, October, and then they have to ask everybody to reset their progress and like stop maintaining the old game. And now people are just like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna go to Apex instead. I'm gonna go to PUBG instead because at least I know my economy's intact there. Yeah, I don't know. Let's talk about that offline. I'd really like to understand how actually you would do that because if you have all these people engaged in the content and, and collecting insane amounts of content, you know, and skins and, whatever gun skins but i still don't get all that well <laughs> but anyway um yeah how do you reset it when it comes out next year or this year right like is that even possible but i guess fortnite does it every season but like fortnite is a it's a, an economy that grows over time right like they've kind of accepted that they're a full free-to-play service they're constantly gonna be adding cosmetics over time yeah and i um, keep saying that yeah, and I keep saying with Fortnite, they have the ultimate flexibility of doing whatever the hell they want, right? They can build any type of crazy character skin that they want in that game. Call of Duty is still limited by, you know, the theater that they're in to, I mean, how many things, how many different pants with different fatigues can you build, you know? So how many maybe they do get crazy. Can you make, you know? They got to sell that bunny suit every year. <laughs> it just gets more wild and crazy every every season, I suppose. But that's um, even like Fortnite has, it's almost like power creep in like Hearthstone, right? Where you have cosmetic power creep, where you have to constantly come out with new seasons that are more ridiculous than the last one um, in order to, to you know, drive players to spend. That's why you have themed seasons uh, to avoid power creep in cosmetics. Okay, but sorry, you were talking about what game? But, okay, so in Hearthstone or in card-based games, you right. have an issue with power creep, right? Where 
eventually they can't come up with say the width of cards. They can't come up with new cards that are strategically the same or like the same balancing as the other ones. So they'll make them a little bit more powerful than the other ones, forcing everybody to move to those, that new set of cards. Because every time they launch new cards, they have to be, you know, exciting. So sometimes designers will end up having to create those new cards as slightly more powerful than previous ones. No, no, but I'm sorry. That makes sense to me, right? That, that, that that's easy to continue to maintain because you change the meta every time you release a new set of cards and therefore people have to invest in getting the new sets of cards. But with this cosmetic shit, like there's no real incentive to do it because it's not changing anything. So I I mean, yeah. So that's why like it's easy. I think it's probably easier to maintain something in in something like Hearthstone or even League of Legends, right? Where the new characters change the meta and um, well, I think bit. it's easier to maintain a cosmetic pipeline over time because like in the Hearthstone, you think you have to constantly come up with a new design, right? That you have to balance against all the cards previously, right? Like that's a quite a bit of design risk and a lot of design debt to actually go through. So what I would say is cosmetic pipelines are easier, but you have to actually theme things. You have to assign things to fantasy. You have to try to keep up with latest trends to avoid getting into like basically like a power creep of cosmetics where you have best in class or best in slot problems where players get that one cosmetic three seasons ago and then they never want to change their skin. Right? Like you can see it in League. You can see it in CSGO. You can see it in Fortnite. They're really trying to make sure that every new season they're coming out with cosmetics that players have to have and have to change into. Yeah, I guess maybe I'm thinking from the consumer perspective, it's far more a compelling reason to spend to be competitive in the meta on a on an ongoing basis than it is, you know, to have the latest, you know, tchotchke skin, right? So it may be easier to develop, no doubt about that. But whether it's compelling for the consumer to spend, I guess that's kind of what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, then you're talking about the difference between mobile and console. Like on mobile, they're going to be launching new characters, new right. resets, et cetera. And those ones are going to be a little bit more powerful than before. They'll get nerfed. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys. Well, you guys stay safe. Have a good one. All right, guys. Stay Bye, safe. everybody. See ya.